As I create and share, I use three lenses. Know your city, see the world, and let the world see you. Chicago is one of the largest cities in the Midwest and an unmatched hub for food and culture. As Chicagoans, we have a rich history of diverse neighborhoods and various changes to these spaces over time. Here, we'll dive into what's new and on the come up as well as staples that can be found in our city. I'm Dietrich Hunter, and this is Curate Curiosity. Support for today's episode comes from April's Ivy Care. April's Ivy Care LLC is a beauty, health, and wellness brand. April's Ivy Care is an all-natural skin essentials line containing sugar-based face and body scrubs and skin toners. All products are made to order. Please message us on Facebook or Instagram to place an order at Ivy Care LLC. That's I-V-Y-C-A-R-E-L-L-C. Our first and second episodes are about something that many of us have seen before, but maybe we haven't had a chance to ask about it until now. Every neighborhood is unique, but many of these have sprung into existence to occupy open lots and spare space across our city with deeper ties to Midwest history and culture than we might assume. I'm talking about farms, urban farms. So many people seem to have taken up gardening during our stay at home order. I even revived my garden during this time of extended closure and extreme boredom. But why urban farms? And why now? We'll hear from two local leaders in that industry as they describe what makes their farms unique and how we as Chicagoans can get involved to support their efforts. Next, go and tells. Go and tell, like show and tell. Yeah. Today's go and tell features Mario's Italian Lemonade on Taylor Street. What's up, everybody? Today we're getting Mario's Italian Lemonade. I'm here with my sister Jasmine. Hi, everyone. Uh, we are at Taylor and Carpenter. Uh, which is just about five blocks from either I-90 or 290 and an easy walk from both the Blue Line and the Roosevelt 12 uh, stop. So getting here is no problem at all. Uh, once you're here, you'll recognize that there is plenty, plenty, plenty to do around here. If you're willing to walk up to Halstead, you can either go into downtown or a little further south, find plenty uh, of bites and places to grab a beer. Uh, same is true up and down Taylor Street. We are in what is called Little Italy, uh, my neighborhood almost. We live in Tri-Taylor, which is just a shot west of this, and we are just west right now of UIC's campus. Let's check it out. Normally when we come uh, to Mario's, we usually check out Volcano Sushi, which is pretty much next door. They have a killer $20 all-you-can-eat sushi deal, but right now we're actually across the street at Al's. Before we give Jasmine her first experience at Mario's Italian Lemonade or Italian Ice, I want to make sure we get an idea on the myths maybe she's heard uh, or a beat on her expectations. All right, so first, uh, have you ever had Italian Ice? Um, no, I don't think so. Maybe once when I was a kid, like down by 
uh, the lake on Lakeshore, but I'm not 100. I don't remember what it tastes like. Okay, so yeah. new experiences. Variety is the spice of life. Love it. Uh, are you an ice cream lover? Yes, I'm a big like dairy ice cream, so custard, you know, like the Cold Stones, the Culvers of the world. Yeah, that's me. Not my thing. So that's <laughs> my sister, but we are different. We are different. Only only ice cream I like is the best ice cream, Dairy Queen. Don't at me. Don't at me. Unless you're Dairy Queen. Uh, what are you expecting then? Since you've never had it, you clearly love things that are milk-based, which for me is not, but go for it. Um, so when I think Italian ice, I'm thinking like snow cone, like, you know, the snow cone, the little chunks of ice with some pump syrup on top. Like you get, you know, summertime shy on the street. Just That's little, what I'm Little doing. sweet corner treats, oh, yeah. right? Like the, the lady who sells them in the like little styrofoam cups. Yeah. So, this yeah. is neither of those, but oh, okay. I, I love that you have that in mind, right? The Kool-Aid cups or, or something like yeah. that. It's not that far off. It's not that far off. Um, are you expecting, this is a hot beat question, maybe a hot take coming here, a uh, hot take alert. Are you expecting better than ice cream or not? Not at all. <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna take quite a bit to top ice cream for me, so no. Okay, well we will see afterwards. Awesome. So we're about to get our first bite on here. Uh, what do you think this presentation was? I mean, it looks beautiful. I went with strawberry and grapefruit, so I'm excited to taste it. Awesome. Well, get, get going. Dig in there. Okay, I just have one question because there's a straw and a spoon. So sure. what do you recommend as the best method here? Well, I would say your course of action probably would be spoon first. Okay. Um, just so you don't dry it out. So now that you've had Mario's uh, for the first time, describe the vibe for uh, another first time. Okay, um, the vibe of Mario's is very local, I would say. It seems like most people in this neighborhood know that this is the spot. When we were there, I saw people pulling up on the side of the road, jumping out of their cars real quick, getting their order and leaving. It's like they know this is the pit stop we gotta make before we get back home, so. I love that, I think that's very cool. Sweet, strong vibes, love it. Yeah, it's kind of like a permanent fixture feel. It's been here longer than a lot of the newer developments that are out here, uh, and it'll probably outlast some of the other things that were built during its, its time. So now, on to the big leagues. Ratings, 
This time we're rating it out of 10 lemons uh, in honor of Mario's <sighs> uh, being Italian lemonade. So what would you give Mario's as a first timer, as a person who's for sure probably coming back? Um, what would you give Mario's out of 10 lemons? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm coming back. Um, and this is kind of easy. I'm going to give them like an 8.6. Let me tell you why. <laughs> so the snack is a great snack. Real fruit, that's a huge plus for me. It's like almost like a guilt-free situation, but it's a nice little treat, especially on a hot day. I'm loving all that. Flavor was fire, but I'm gonna have to dock them just a little bit for the bee situation because there was so many bees there. There's enough bees that we almost didn't have to pay because we couldn't get to the window because of the number of bees. It wasn't a line like normal. So if you come, come during the day or be ready to stand in line and have fun with your people. Yeah. But the bees are real when you come during the day. Haven't been during the night for a while. I would say I bump it up just up to a, maybe a 9.6 uh, only because I love variety, right? We got two different flavors, both fresh mm -hmm. fruit. I can get a different flavor almost every time I come here, even if I came every day of the week, um, which I'm sure some people do, all right? Uh, but it is a great spot. Get your Mario's. Come through and get your own. Well, know your city, see the world, and as always, let, let the, the world, world see you. you. Today's episode was created in support of Boilers Give Back. Boilers Give Back is a team formed by two Purdue University alumni, Dancy York and Jasmine McCoy. Their mission is simple, to provide resources wherever there is lack. The team first identified a need during the global pandemic when grocery stores closed following looting in the city of Chicago. With the donations and the support of their fellow Purdue University alumni, friends, and family, as well as several company partners. The group was able to provide over 100 free grocery bags for families in the Washington Park neighborhood. An additional 25 bags were donated to the frontline workers at St. Bernard Hospital. Since its founding, the group has hosted fundraisers and executed monthly giveaways for the people of their community. This week, August 21st, Boilers Give Back will be providing warm lunch meals for their neighbors in the Washington Park neighborhood. For ways to donate or become involved, contact Jasmine Lee McCoy on Facebook or at Curbside Cafe on Instagram. That's Jasmine, J-A-S-M-I-N-E, Lee, L-E-I-G-H, McCoy, M-C-C-O-Y on Facebook or at Curbside Cafe on Instagram. That's C-U-R-B-S-I-D-E-C-A-F-E underscore on Instagram. Now let's pivot to my interview with Tucker Kelly, the lead farmer at Urban Autism Solutions Growing Solutions Farm. So where did it all start, Tucker? What's like kind of the background of your organization? What what uh, sparked the idea for Growing Solutions? Structurally, the organization is split in half with a residential treatment facility 
being a major portion of it uh, and the flagship portion of it. And then from there, it's expanded to what I would consider the other half, the other part under, under the umbrella, which is uh, the programming that we do for participants within the school system, um, outside of the school system, uh, inside the residential treatment facility, or just somebody who wants to get involved. Uh, those programs are residential, they're social, and they're vocational. So the farm was started about four years ago, 2016, uh, as a vocational opportunity for CPS students, for our residents, and for anyone else that was interested in getting involved. Primary, our, primarily our population is uh, young adults with autism or related illnesses, whether it's a physical disability, um, someone on the autism spectrum, or a related intellectual disability. Uh, we take all comers. That's really sweet. Um, so it sounds like it sparked uh, from kind of like a missional connection to serving uh, the population of Chicago with like real options that lead to um, meaningful work. And then also this idea of really serving um, and connecting really with people uh, who um, are on that autistic spectrum in some way. Absolutely. Yeah, we recognized uh, a need for young adults specifically with autism, there's a, a pretty uh, stark disconnect between um, employers' needs and the needs of folks who are autistic. Uh, job training programs have become something that are very popular and just uh, bridging a gap, uh, meeting the employer's needs and also meeting the employee's needs um, so the idea is that we provide some training to get uh, young adults that don't otherwise have resources into those positions um, at uh, factories, in warehouses, uh, in grocery stores, Walgreens, CVS, lots of locations. Um, the main reason that uh, these young people are facing this barrier is at uh, age 23, uh, young adults with autism will age out uh, as what it's typically referred to as and that just means that they stop receiving those local benefits that they would have received before so for example they'll go on school uh, through schooling for a few extra years they might receive um, more benefits from whatever social service that they're linked up with uh, but around age 23 those are entirely cut off so, for example, if a student is in school and still attending high school up until age 22 and 11 months, um, as soon as they turn 23, they are cut off altogether and their school year ends. Um, so the need is often based on age uh, as well as employment needs. I, I really love that idea of your taking um, something so tangible and, and applying it to a really present and pertinent issue, right, like a problem. Um, and, and using um, kind of community building and work um, as a form to like kind of heal or, or address um, a, real, a real issue for specific people and for our city overall. One follow-up question, is there anything um, that made your organization or your founders like you uniquely or keenly aware of, of, this, um, of this, this problem? For most people, I think that they don't become in tune with uh, larger societal ills until they're touched 
directly by them. Uh, on a personal level, my uh, youngest brother, who is 13 years old now, was born with, um, he's on the autism spectrum. Uh, he's high functioning, so no intellectual disability there. Um, but there are barriers that he's going to face for the rest of his life um, just because of his diagnosis and because the world just hasn't previously been made for people like that um, with just differences, uh, just uh, neurodiverse tendencies. Uh, it's a simple thing, but it's, it's also really difficult for uh, other people to accept him because they don't know him. Um, and the same thing I think happened probably with our founder. Uh, her name is Julie Tracy and she founded the organization about 10 years ago. Uh, she has a, I believe he's 28 now, 28 year old son uh, who's also on the spectrum. Um, just like my brother, uh, high functioning, uh, works at Trader Joe's, nice young guy, but there's just a few things that are different about him that I think the world um, hasn't figured out how to address and uh, accept yet. So I will add uh, kind of to the end of that statement that um, though a lot of the time we intend to serve the community with autism and autism related illnesses, um, oftentimes I want to get people with neurotypical, and that's in scare quotes, neurotypical backgrounds um, without an autism diagnosis exposed to the population as well. It's really important that those people that are hiring managers and that do have coworkers with illnesses like that are also exposed to, to people who are different from them because they do the hiring later, they do the donating later, um, they do a lot of our outreach on our behalf. Uh, there's nothing quite as powerful as word of mouth. That's really good. I appreciate that, Tucker. All all those aspects of history blended with like that personal aspect, because it's important to recognize and like kind of summarize what you're saying and make sure I'm hearing you well. This idea of instead of othering that community, making sure that we're searching for like an understanding uh, by society. And that comes with acclimating all parties involved and not just um, seeking to um, get people to reduce their tendencies um, to fit into like kind of those cogs in, in our societal wheel, uh, but really making sure we as a society are, 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 are addressing our like, you know, predisposition to not be um, able to digest, like you said, those differences. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's a really simple uh, concept, but uh, the last thing that we would want to do is to think of a lot of this stuff as charity or thinking about um, our participants that are later trying to find jobs as being um, uh, the tail pinned on the donkey. We don't want to see them um, uh, being still a square peg trying to fit into a round hole and someone being nice enough just to take it off of our hands. That's the last thing that um, there's no dignity in that. What we need to do if we're going to call this a single society or group of people um, is to accept them, not tolerate them uh, and treat them as one of our own and reform our institutions that have historically excluded them uh, to make sure that they are also making uh, concrete and critical decisions about how the institutions work for them. Well, that's really big work. That is, that's incredible, man. That's, that's really cool. And I, I, 
I love that that is um, not just a part of your mission, but it is. It, it seems like it's close to you too, like personally. Um, I think that kind of turns us to our next question. So what is your role um, and how does this support the mission of your growing community? Yeah, um, my role with Urban Autism Solutions is the farm coordinator or lead grower. Either are acceptable titles um, at Growing Solutions Farm. Um, so Urban Autism Solutions is the uh, organizational, na organizational name that would be our business name. Um, Growing Solutions Farm should be considered a program of it, just uh, so everyone understands the structure there. Um, I manage the program uh, and at the farm I do the growing, I do the sales, watering, you name it. Um, for our program participants there, I do um, basically vocational training. So it's job readiness training uh, and that uh, is everything from planting to watering, um, pruning, um, and most importantly lately food service uh, and sanitation. Um, all of that stuff is, is uniquely important now but has always been a part of our programming. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. And what was kind of your starter intro to gardening? It seems like you kind of know your way around quite a bit. Um, so what, what got you started gardening? I got to say, I was incredibly lucky as a young person. Uh, my first job ever was working on a farm. I was an assistant to my best friend's mom. She had a condition called tennis elbow. Uh, the actual medical name of it, I'm not sure to this day, um, but I think it's an, an issue with nerve damage in one of your hands, so she couldn't lift things very well. I was 17, I had just graduated from high school, and she needed somebody to basically be a workhorse and <laughs> lift the things she couldn't lift and go fetch the things she couldn't fetch, but um, uh, Evelyn Bryan is her name and she's very dear to my heart. She, uh, she just gave me my first job and it turned out to be something that I really enjoyed doing. Um, I was, uh, I, that farm was in rural Ohio. So I, uh, my first job was working with a farm on, uh, using tractors and working with the Amish, very, very different from the urban setting that I now, uh, work in. Um, so I farmed on and off um, from 17 until now, I'm 27. Um, in college, there we took a little break, um, but then I got back into it when I moved to Chicago to work for the Botanic Gardens uh, Urban Ag Department, which is called Windy City Harvest. Worked with them for a few years, and then I was directed to this, which was full-time salaried gainful employment, and it's been a great fit for the last year and a half. I kind of combined a few passion projects, which are uh, social work, and my mother's a social worker, and a uh, passion of my own, which is farming and agriculture. That's so awesome that you're able to, you know, really blend those things that are central to who you are and your experience. It's like so cool to be able to activate those parts of yourself um, and just apply that wholesale. That's that's incredible. Um, it seems like the place is really special to you, but from your perspective, what makes your growing community special? Chicago is a, it's an incredible environment to do agriculture in. Um, it was something I was familiar with already um, because I, I, most of my agriculture career has been in the Midwest. 
um, but it was a setting that was so drastically different. Um, I was so used to working in the fields in a uh, very sparsely populated place. Um, and the strangest thing for me was coming to do it in a city where there were sirens all the time and, you know, uh, high traffic street was right on the other side of the fence, not far from you. Um, and to see a farm that um, is full of people all the time. Um, Chicago is very fortunate to have so many green spaces um, and everyone really values those green and public spaces here that extends even to farms. So if you think uh, about the traffic of a park, um, the farm also has that sort of traffic to it. Um, there's a lot of really dedicated neighbors who want to come out and volunteer all the time. Um, it's important to not have the fence up um, that would separate uh, the community that we actually work in uh, from the work itself. Um, we do a lot of markets and stuff, so that's like one of the ways that we interact, but we also just have generally people coming and going from the farm all the time. That's really cool. Yeah, it sounds really special to you. And um, on like a more personal note then, what what if you could identify one or two or three things, what do you love most about um, your farm or uh, what what you guys do there as far as programming? I gotta say, um, on a on a personal and selfish note, I had wanted to for years get more into landscape architecture and carpentry, and this was an incredible opportunity. Be treated with like the the respect to just be kind of given a company credit card and be asked to make something that was really beautiful. I've had a great time um, rebuilding the farm in some ways and creating um, something new and something that fit maybe my personality a little bit more. Um, it's gonna be really interesting uh, in a year or two down the line to see the farm, uh, what it was when I first started and then what I was allowed to do with it. Um, I have to say that being, you know, I'm 27 now, being trusted in that way um, uh, with not only like the company funds, but to, to make something on the company dime has been, has been it, it was a moment where I felt the respect uh, from my employers um, that that some people might go their entire career without actually feeling. So it's been that's been lovely. I will say that moving to Chicago, um, I came from uh, you know it was a very sparsely uh, populated area in Ohio. You didn't see <clears throat> nearly as many people um, or nearly as often as I do now. It's become an incredibly empowering and important thing uh, to have so many people ask me questions and come say hi and say that they like what I do, um, say that they think that I'm doing a good job. Uh, I've never ever been someone who needed as much uh, positive reinforcement. I was totally fine out there in the middle of nowhere in Ohio having a good time by myself. Um, but now um, I, I value it so much. Um, and it's one of those things that I, I'm doing a projects, not always for myself anymore. I'm doing these projects. Um, so the community has something nice to be a part of and look at. That's really cool, man. So I, uh, just a quick like side, like I, uh, I garden as well and I garden at a school nearby. Um, I'm a high school teacher at, at UIC college prep. And I was recently able to repaint the beds that were there when I got here about two years ago. And to like step back and repaint the beds and set up the irrigation this year and put some chicken wire up. And these things are like, 
I just wanted to plant some stuff and and now yeah I have something that's that's beautiful that's in school colors and kids who are now taking their pictures in front of the building because they can't graduate this year are now able to see that and feel that school pride and that community connection even based on just something small that I was able to do in building the trellis and kind of keeping it beautiful um, so I really identify with what you're saying there yeah is the garden that you're speaking of located on Damon? It is, yeah, yep. I bike by that garden every single day. I live further south in Pilsen. No um, way, man. You're on the, the like the east side of Damon, right? Yeah. One hundred percent. Yeah. I bike by I bike by that every single day. Yeah, <laughs> yep. So I, I usually walk over there or take the car if my wife doesn't have it at work. And um yeah, I I water, I got the irrigation set now, so I don't do as much watering by hand, but yeah, I'm just over there weeding and constructing and we're going to put some more in the back, but I 100% identify with this idea of like being trusted, but also being able to like explore what even it, it was to you versus what it could be. I think that it's a very, uh, and, and again, not to take away from our time, but with what has been happening, the painting that I was able to do last week was more than therapeutic. Like it was something that like brought me back to my square, brought me back to zero in the midst of all the chaos, in the midst of all the things that I've had to ask and answer as far as questions to other people being a black man in Chicago. So I have digested gardening even in a new way. Um, and again, it wouldn't exist without a lot of those factors of of our school being like, yeah, run to Home Depot, get what you need, um, or or whatever trust and 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 kind of license that they've given me to 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 do that and to intersect our community in a way that I wasn't hired to do, but in a way that has made me stay and made me invest. So I totally understand. It's such a strange thing how how far a little bit of trust and respect really really takes people. Um, I think it's the same thing for my population uh, at the farm. Um, formerly, I also used to work with uh, currently and previously incarcerated people with uh, um, the Chicago Botanic Gardens Urban uh, Agriculture Department. They um, they worked with people um, who were on work release programs, so it's still technically incarcerated. Um, and these were rough dudes. I was 24 years old. These guys were, you know, they had kids my age, um, guys who probably never saw themselves gardening or farming. Um, and the easiest way to get them um, out of the mindset that jail and prison puts people in just to survive, um, uh, the, the easiest thing to do was to ask them to take pride uh, in the work that they were doing at the farm. Um, it's such a weird and simple way to get people into uh, um, just a, a completely different way of thinking about things. Um, and that's just to give them the space and respect to, to try what they want and to do what they want um, and to build alongside what you're doing. It's such a weirdly simple thing that I don't think we do enough for one another. Simply respect one another. We'll hear more about the work at Growing Solutions Farm after this message. Stay with us. Support for today's episode also comes from Adventures Accessed. Adventures Accessed is Chicago's own outfitting and guide service, enabling folks of all kinds to escape the city to connect with nature in meaningful ways. 
Our experiences are all-inclusive of camping gear, food, transportation, and expert guides to help you thrive in our region's national forests. Adventures Accessed is proud to share these experiences with local youth through the Adventure Worth Sharing initiative, ensuring Chicago teens have the opportunity to discover the power of nature. Join our Backpacking 101 opportunities or other offerings to learn, grow, and have fun in the solitude of nature. To learn more, visit our website at adventuresaccess.com. That's A-D-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S-A-C-C-E-S-S-E-D.com. Here's more of my interview with Tucker Kelly from Growing Solutions Farm. It sounds like, yeah, again, your role is pretty all-encompassing, but what does an average day or an average week kind of look like at at Growing Solutions? Typically, um, it's split kind of right down the middle um, in terms of the hours, like four hours of programming first thing in the morning, uh, followed by four hours of me working pretty solo or um, just working on production with a small group of volunteers in the afternoon. Um, Because of the changes that we've had to make with the public health crisis, um, we've had to move some things around. Uh, Typically, we would have markets starting around this time of year on Wednesdays and Fridays and Saturdays, but those have all been um, slowed down because of the phase changes, because of the necessity for social distancing and the uncertainty about permitting that the city is going to be doing. So we've, we've put all that stuff on the back burner. We've transitioned our programming from being on-site um, training, um, hands-on, uh, to being uh, entirely based on Zoom. Um, so we're doing programming for about 15 SILAs in and around the Chicago area, and those are residential treatment facilities as well. We're starting gardens with them, um, uh, and that's been primarily the programming that I've been able to do with our non-resident population. Most mornings, I still have our residents from our treatment facility, our own facility on site, and we're still handling all the production as we would have uh, uh, under any circumstances. Um, There's been some changes this year, but we're making it work. Um, So it sounds like you guys do have a pretty full schedule even in this time. Could you maybe think back and tell me about a, a tough time at your farm, either personally for you or collectively for the operations that they've had there? I would say the most difficult time on the farm would be, honestly, I would say it's probably around this time. I wanna say it's like usually May to June. Um, it's just historically, it's the transition from the cool weather crops to the warm weather crops. Um, if there's any con- lingering construction projects, those tend to be, you know, very arduous, very physical tasks that uh, exhausts people. Um, it's when market season starts up, summer programming begins. It's really just kind of like it's the beginning of the new year for farms, you know, in, in June, and it's, uh, it's often pretty taxing. And then you also have to recall that it's the beginning and it's just getting started. So if you're tired now, uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And sometimes it's a sprint too. So you gotta be ready uh, for the long haul. 
Um, but I will say, I will add to that, just to leave that on a positive note and not a negative one. Um, we're outside all day, you know, we're in the sun all day long. I cannot, I, I can't pick out a day or a period when you're outside for that long uh, to complain about. I dare you to try um, on the, during the winter months when I have to spend a lot of my time on the computer, um, that's when I'm, I've got the blues. Um, I, would, I would never complain about being outside and getting some exercise and getting a tan um, early in the season like this. Nice. That's really good, man. Uh, so where do you see the farm going kind of in the next 5, 10, 20 years maybe? Um, the coolest idea that I think I could, I could come up with uh, for like a golden place for the farm to be would be to expand our programming even further. So the, the food system, I think, starts with the farm, of course, but then makes its way into like the kitchen or the grocery store or the restaurant following that. Um, and I think it would be really awesome for our programming eventually to have a certified kitchen um, and then to um, be able to expand the vocational programming to uh, teaching young adults how to um, how to cook, how to do it safely, um, and then even after that, uh, into maybe even like a grocery store setting, if we had like a more permanent year-round market, uh, if we had uh, or had a closer collaboration with restaurants that provided training and then sold the product. Um, that's uh, just to get people continuously involved with every phase of the food system and to do it in a way that was uh, economically, ecologically sound um, to, to handle the entire food system um, as an organization. That would be so many years off, but man, that is such a golden idea that I think that others should, should get into. I love that idea of like kind of spreading your impact and your footprint, um, but using kind of the same current place of the farm as like a launch pad. You know, it really is cool to see that you have a vision that can expand. So, yeah, that's sweet, man. Um, so just a few more questions. Um, what should Chicagoans know about connecting to your farm? Uh, what would you tell Chicagoans about your growing community uh, as far as ways that they can get connected? Um, like you mentioned uh, and shared that personal anecdote that your farm was not far from our farm and that I had biked by it all the time. Um, I had another friend who ran a farm on Blue Island uh, with another school. Um, my farm isn't far from that farm. And I think if you were to maybe bike or take the time uh, to go off, maybe the main drags, maybe the main thoroughfares that you see, you would notice that there are farms everywhere. They are all over the city. Um, some of them are community gardens where you yourself can go grow food. Uh, some of them are for-profit or non-profit like ours that attempt to sell their food on a production and uh, uh, business level. Um, but you'd find that there is, uh, there, it's everywhere. It is absolutely everywhere. And that you'd have to kind of walk around with your eyes closed not to see this stuff and to get involved. Um, there are so many markets in the city. And I'll also add, I moved here three years ago in March. I'm brand new and I know of, I could probably name 30, 40 farms uh, on, in, in one try. There are so many um, 
I would say if you want to get involved, just look around. I'm sure that there's a farm or a garden or something um, or a market nearby you. Solid, man. I, I would 100% agree with that. I, I'm on my bike most days as well, and there are so, so many options. Um, so that's really good that you're able to kind of like appeal to that community. Um, with there being so many farms, I think uh, my follow-up is before you started – uh, did you believe any myths about farming in the city uh, or in this community um, that were that you later found out were not true? Um, and are there any other myths that you'd like to debunk um, that you maybe have heard other people kind of share with you? I will say um, I've lived all over the U.S. I was born in Ohio and lived in Dallas. Uh, spent a lot of the formative years in Ohio. Um, moved to Oakland after I graduated from college. I lived all over Ohio uh, before, after, around college. Um, and then I ended up in Chicago because one of my friends helped me out and found uh, uh, seasonal work here for me with a botanic garden. Uh, so shouts out to Paul first off. Um, but of all the places that I lived uh, and all the places that I visited to go see friends, uh, Chicago has been hands down the best place that I've ever lived. Like, it's not even close. I ride a bike everywhere, so I can bike everywhere. Uh, it's affordable. Um, there's one thing that's constantly exported about Chicago, though, and that is that it's uh, violent or that it's mean, that it's that it's rough, that um, it, there's something about it that would chew you out and chew you up and spit you out. I will, I'll, I'll be the first non-Chicagoan to, to say, if nobody else has said it, that this has been the most uh, welcoming, nicest community I've ever been a part of. Uh, Chicagoans take care of one another here um, and they do it with no strings attached. Um, I cannot tell you how many times I've needed something and someone's hooked it up here. Uh, I can't tell you how many times um, someone else needed something and because I had seen those acts of kindness before, I did so in ways that I had never done before. Um, I was 24, I think, or I, was, I was 24, yeah, when I moved here. I had never worked with people who were previously incarcerated. I had never worked with high school students before, and I had never worked with people uh, with autism-related illnesses before. Um, I was terrified every time I made one of those population changes, um, uh, folks that I was working with. But every single time, those people were as nice and welcoming to me uh, as I could ever expect. Um, I deeply uh, appreciate their respect uh, and obviously want to share that with the world. That's really beautiful, Tucker. I couldn't. Yeah, I agree. That's so awesome. And then uh, I think then that leads me to this last question. Um, you've talked a lot about how good the city is um, in your last response. What would you say your farm does to make the city better? The one thing that I'm trying to, to accomplish with this is to bridge some, some gaps that we've seen or maybe haven't seen. Maybe, maybe um, this work is useful because it hasn't been done in the same way before. But there's these gaps in our food system where people are buying food from uh, some distant state and they're using petroleum to get it here. And we're here to fix that. We're here 
not only to make some ecological changes that Chicago desperately needs, that the Midwest desperately needs, that the U.S. desperately needs, um, but we're also here to localize that economy. And um, so if somebody with, uh, that is programming with us wants to later start a business, um, they would be able to do so to have a reasonable model to have a sustainable, effective business. And that, that comes from localizing it and having the support of your neighbors. Um, those, are the, those are the main things that we want to fix here is um, to, to have a two-pronged um, effect on the localization and regionalization of the economy and to make sure that we are paying attention to all of the ways that um, the ecosystem works and how we can work with it rather than against it because there's so much happening right now um, between the public health crisis and the crisis of police violence um, that those those are going to be small time relatively speaking compared to the climate crisis that's going to affect everybody and it's going to be uh, a problem that we're all going to have to reckon with so I just want to like you know fight these fights and then fight that one as well you can't forget about that one too it's really huge, man. I think that that's really big to understand the waves of what it looks like to live in kind of this globalized society and society that thinks it has no barriers that it really needs to kind of reduce and reuse and kind of revisit some of the systems that have become staples to really make some sustainable changes so that we all not just survive, but maybe get back to thriving and surviving for longer. So. Yeah, it's important. It's such a, it feels like such a dark apocalyptic thing to right. say. But feels, we're here, right? But we're here. We're here. And you got to recognize it. And we got to do something about it. Well, you can too. It's, it's not going to be that hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with it, man. I think that talk, saying the truth is, is hard sometimes. So, yeah. That's huge. Well, um, yeah. I mean, I think my last just big deal is, is uh, what would, would you like to share? Um, where people can find out more about growing solutions or, or urban autism solutions uh, overall? Um. I'd encourage people to start by coming to the markets to join our CSA, um, to view our website, to see some of the programming that we offer. We're a nonprofit, so your support doesn't mean I get a bigger salary. Your support means that we go ahead and we support more people um, in our community that need uh, that need either we turn that money either into programming help or direct action by like sending them garden beds and getting them started farming on their own terms at their own home. So uh, you can also that's, that's kind of our vocational stuff. You can also get involved by attending our meetups. Uh, check the website for the schedule of those. We, we do uh, Zoom based meetups. Um, I would encourage people with relatives uh, that have autism to attend. Uh, and people who don't have autism to attend because uh, uh, the education is in part um, for them, but it's also for you. That's beautiful, man. Well, thank you so much, Tucker, for, for making this time. I'm, I'm really excited that I actually got to go deep uh, into like your operations and hear a little bit more about you as a person and know that there's some, uh, yeah, some dope things happening in our neighborhood and dope people as well. Cause, um, yeah, that's, that's definitely where, where you stand. So I appreciate your time and I uh, can't wait to come down to the farm. Wonderful. We're happy to have you. Awesome, man. Well, have a good one. Um, yeah. Thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you.
That was Tucker Kelly, the lead farmer at Urban Autism Solutions Growing Solutions Farm. Now we'll pivot to episode two with Ken Dunn from City Farm and the Resource Center Chicago. With the first Mayor Daly, I met with him with the plan that I, as I told you, I started 50 years ago. And he said, can't support it. People came to Chicago to get away from weedy fields and rusting machinery. <laughs> so I'm not bringing that to the city. Next episode, we'll hear from Ken Dunn at City Farm Chicago. Stay tuned. get more curate curiosity follow us on instagram and subscribe at apple podcast or google podcast you can find more information about the sponsors for this episode in the drop down description on the episode page i'm dietrich hunter and this is curate curiosity <laughs> <laughs>